And support for Redwood Community Radio comes from listeners like you and from Blue Star Gas, located at 1333 Redwood Drive at Alder Point Road. Blue Star Gas provides propane and gas appliances throughout southern Humboldt, northern Mendocino, and Trinity Counties, locally owned and independent since 1938. And Kmud thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing and teaching Chinese medicine, herbalism, and aromatherapy, Jessica is available for press conferences, workshops, and private consultations. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 and online at jadragonacupuncture.com. And now, live from our studios in Redway, California... Studio B to be exact. The next voice you hear will be the herb doctor. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8pm, we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of vaccination. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-568-3723. That's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Uh, incidentally, we can also be reached toll-free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for consultations or further information at the end of the show. So here we are, uh, 20th of June, almost the solstice. seems to happen fairly regularly that we get our shows on the solstices and equinoxes. Um, uh, this month's subject has uh, come around uh, fairly fortuitously in terms of the uh, recent press uh, on the whooping cough outbreak 
I don't know if we'd call it an epidemic, but the whooping cough outbreaks uh, that have been occurring in California and in different states across the U.S. in clusters. Um, so I wanted to do the show on vaccinations. I know there's many different opinions out there about vaccinations, how useful they are, how harmful they could potentially be. Um, I know the autism and the MMR vaccination uh, conv- a debate is still raging on. Um, so this evening, uh, as in all of our shows for the past few years now, we're pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us. I think while the studio is uh, getting him on the line, I just want to outline uh, for people who maybe have never heard uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, speaking on different health topics of which he'll give his opinion tonight on vaccination from his broad scientific background, that um, things are not always as they seem. So... Even though, even though diseases have raged uh, through humanity since the beginning of time, there are various different things that have happened to the uh, world that we live in uh, that have certainly made it a, a harder place to live in, if you like, in terms of the uh, exposure to various uh, toxins, for want of a better word, that we are definitely exposed to now, uh, both the estrogens in the environment, uh, the radiation, the cosmic radiation, and the normal radiation, background radiation of our everyday life, uh, and a diet and lifestyle that uh, most people are currently engaged in have certainly uh, degraded, I would say, uh, for want of a better word, the energy with which human beings have to fight infection. So given that uh, as an organism we have a uh, innate store of energy uh, with which we come to the world with and slowly but surely over time from infancy to uh, adulthood and old age uh, the processes that occur during our lives with food and our subjection uh, and exposure to various things certainly interfere with our bodily systems and the immune system is a very complex and finely tuned uh, weapon, if you like, against infection. Uh, infection has, as I've said, always been present in the world. Um, so from the very early times until now, it's nothing new that we coexist with a wide range of organisms, uh, some of which are pathogenic, and uh, when we come into contact them, with them, they certainly cause uh, disease in the body. So some diseases are worse than others, obviously, and some that have had wide media attention, uh, things that we'll look at this evening, like polio. Um, I'm always struck by that vision. Uh, I'm 48 now, and so I remember kind of growing up as a, a six- or seven-year-old and, and seeing pictures of polio victims uh, that had happened, you know, 15 years previously or 20 years previously, still very much in the forefront of the media then, and the children that were wearing uh, braces and calipers because they were paralysed. And, and there were a few people... Um, that were in the media that had suffered polio uh, and they obviously were, you know, seen on TV and portrayed and it was certainly talked about. So diseases that have a severe outcome like polio, I think certainly struck the population at large as a uh, something to try and do something about. And I think modern science, when it started getting up speed with pharmaceuticals and various different approaches to disease, some of which were not exactly scientific, as we'll see, uh, certainly took full steam ahead. And a polio vaccination and that, uh, you know, going worldwide to eradicate uh, polio like smallpox uh, became big campaigns of government 
and industry alike. And so pharmaceutical industries that were uh, concerned with producing the vaccines uh, that would be distributed to people worldwide um, certainly had incentive from government to do such a thing. Uh, and as we'll also find out, it's uh, strange enough, perhaps if you think about the concept that a government-sanctioned uh, process can be outside of the law. I find this quite a strange concept in medicine. The uh, Hippocratic Oath that doctors take, uh, the first thing is, first, do no harm. So that's the basic tenet of medicine, first, do no harm. So as we talk about this this evening with Dr. Pete, let's understand two concepts. One is first, do no harm. Uh, and the second is the science and the research that should guide our decision in medicine should be very objective, subjective and open to evaluation. And when a product like a vaccine has been indemnified by a government so that it cannot be prosecuted because when people get damaged by vaccines, and it's definitely happened, the company that manufactured the vaccine can't be taken to court find that very, very, uh, very strange that that law would be put into effect to protect vaccine manufacturers because inherently they know that these things are unsafe. So the United States legal standard applied to vaccines defines them as unavoidably unsafe products that are quite incapable of being made safe for their intended and ordinary use. So the reason why vaccines are unsafe, or in other words harmful, is because they're made up of chemicals and other elements that are poisonous to the body. And the uh, vaccine industry has naturally, as I said, have been indemnified by governments, meaning there can be no liability directed at pharmaceutical industries producing vaccines for vaccination-damaged individuals. So first, do no harm, and the fact that vaccine companies are actually protected by law. It's a very strange concept that's allowed. And uh, as we'll also see, um, I was looking at a uh, an interview uh, with a doctor who was uh, basically looking at polio as a uh, uh, subject of, vac of one of the vaccination uh, questions that were arising and saying that polio in itself is uh, 95 to 98% the um, one of the better words asymptomatic so the fact that 98% um, or up to 98% of a population can contract polio they won't actually have any any outlying symptoms of any disease as such. It's only the 1% uh, that actually can get, uh, you know, sequelae of, uh, of the polio virus. And out of those 1%, only a few of those people actually get the paralysis that's associated with polio and which has been so widely uh, portrayed on the uh, news. So, like I said, uh, those two things uh, def definitely want to be kept on the, on your minds. And as you listen to Dr. Pete and his explanations, um, a lot of a lot of what he says is very um, very mind opening because it's not something that uh, we're normally exposed to because the uh, media and uh, corporations have definite agenda uh, when things are being produced and sold. And so, uh, what we definitely get via the TV and the radio, to the most part, is a fairly one-sided um, story. So Dr. Pete, often when you hear him speaking, he seems very uh, controversial, uh, is a fairly pretty good word for him, pretty controversial. Um, but a lot of what he's said is very scientific. So 
That's, like I said, what should be driving medicine and research. And when he comes out with these statements that sometimes might seem outrageous if you've not heard it before, um, it's actually uh, the product of investigative work and scientific review that not oh, it doesn't always come to the uh, to the fore. So uh, when we uh, get to getting Dr. Pete to explain um, his basis uh, for immunity and infection and how... Uh, as human beings, I think we've been exposed to various things that have degraded our ability to fight infection, that um, it'll become a little bit more obvious, especially when you remember the first two things I said, first, do no harm, and that vaccine corporations are indemnified by the government and they cannot be held liable. So uh, just think on those things, and then uh, we'll talk to Dr. Pete and ask him to explain uh, those uh, basic uh, basic fundamentals of disease and how things have uh, definitely changed in our environment for the worse and now well, we're suddenly barraged with vaccinations from birth at uh, an alarmingly uh, increasing rate okay so i don't know if we have dr pete online yeah okay now hi dr pete you there hi hi uh, th- thanks for joining sound us. Is a little weak i'm sorry uh, you can hear me okay oh yeah i can hear you fine can you okay, hear me good can you hear me all right uh, yeah, now. Good. <laughs> okay. All right, good. Well, I've um, basically given people uh, the outline of what we're going to talk about tonight, but um, as always, I think it's a good idea to give people the opportunity of hear your, uh, your scientific background, your professional background, um, and then we'll get into the show. Okay. Um, uh, although I uh, concentrated on physiology, uh, reproductive aging, and biochemistry during my four years, at the University of Oregon, it happened that uh, in a seminar of uh, developmental biology that I took, I think it was in the fall of 1969, the professor was sponsoring an international conference on immunology, and so I, I got to hear the, uh, the latest big shot uh, research in the, uh, explaining the clonal selection theory. Uh-huh of adaptive immunity, and uh, uh, they would give their presentation and then disappear. And in between, younger professors would uh, give their current research. And the most memorable thing about the conference for me was a professor describing his uh, in vitro uh, experiments with white blood cells that uh, had been clonally deleted but when the concentration was proper, they could reconstitute themselves uh, in the original uh, as if they, each one had knowledge of what the whole organism was. And uh, that really uh, was uh, uh, contradictory to the, all of the mechanistic assumptions of the, the uh, current uh, clonal selection theory, but it happens that it corresponds very closely to what 30 years later is being seen uh, as a a feature of uh, the uh, epigenetic uh, expression of of genetic information um, throughout the body in which, uh, for example, skin cells from different parts of the body are different from skin cells in a different part of the body. Each cell knows where it belongs in terms of the whole organism. 
as if uh, each part is sort of a microcosm. Hmm. And uh, that that researcher in 1969 uh, showed evidence that the immune system works that way, that each cell is kind of a microcosm. And uh, the, the, um, as the clonal adult, uh, selection theory was developing, it really was uh, trying to justify the um, vaccination practice and theory. Uh, the practice of vaccination was entirely empirical. People didn't know anything about what was going on, didn't even know there were cells at right. the time they were practicing uh, vaccination. And so it was, uh, that was just a, a trial and error thing, uh, no theory at all. And uh, early in this century, uh, Paul Ehrlich uh, d- developed uh, the, the approach to immunity that led to the clonal selection theory, which is currently pretty much the dominant uh, theory, except it has been uh, modified recently, last four or five years, by recognition that the innate immune system, what we share with uh, primitive animals Mm -hmm. and plants, that the innate immune system really is involved in the adaptive immune system. But Paul, from Paul Ehrlich's view and uh, mainline immunology, the adaptive system uh, was the only part that was of interest. And uh, in 1969, I talked to some of my professors about the, uh, the innate immunity, which uh, in, in the year that Paul Ehrlich got his Nobel Prize, uh, Elie Metchnikoff uh, also shared the uh, Nobel Prize, but Metchnikoff uh, presented information about the innate immune system, and that was really pretty much ignored until just the last four or five years. But uh, that's where I think the the really interesting stuff happens. And uh, in 1969, when I talked to my professors, uh, they were completely uninterested (laughs) in the innate immune system, but uh, I had been reading... Uh, William F. Koch, uh, who early in the century, uh, almost simultaneously with with, uh, Elie Metchnikoff's work, uh, Koch uh, developed uh, evidence that uh, oxidative cell metabolism is responsible for innate resistance and immunity. And... uh, it was, in effect, the biochemical explanation for the innate immunity that Elie Metchnikoff had showed as a, a developmental uh, process. Uh, Metchnikoff was, was an embryologist, and, and he saw immunity as a, a process of maintaining the integrity of the organism, but in a developmental, almost embryological manner. And uh, uh, Koch's work at the same time was showing that it was the energy of cells, the oxidative metabolism, that uh, uh, made this 
innate immunity work. Hmm. Okay. And uh, people ignored or disparaged uh, W.F. Koch because uh, an essential part of his uh, theory of oxidative metabolism <clears throat> was based on free radical uh, reactions that would break down uh, allergens and viruses and toxins uh, using free radical chemistry, but okay. biologists didn't know that there was such a thing as free radical chemistry okay. uh, until the 1950s. So uh, pretty much uh, Albert St. Georgie was uh, the only uh, biologist who took W.F. Koch seriously, and uh, uh, he didn't really concentrate on immunity uh, so it's now just uh, barely uh, coming into uh, scientific awareness that the innate immune system and uh, metabolic processes uh, do have something to do with why some people don't get disease and others do. Right. I mean, because even, even currently, I guess we'll jump ahead a little with this before we go back to the kind of... Uh uh, progression from antiquity to now with our health but I- even now there are populations of people that don't uh, come down with a disease when there's a raging epidemic going on I mean we're talking about unvaccinated people uh, people that don't have any supposed protection uh, have their own innate defence and uh, yeah, uh, people writing about uh, the uh, economics of immunity uh, <laughs> often refer to vaccination as the uh, economically uh, viable uh-huh. method that uh, they acknowledge that sanitation and nutrition prevent disease, but they say it's cheaper to vaccinate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the uh, World Health Organization, uh, around 1970, I think, uh, did an experiment in Central America in which they uh, gave a medical team with vaccination and all of the regular medicine uh, helped to, to one village. Uh, another village they didn't do anything to. The third village, they didn't provide any vaccination or medical help, but they provided clean water mm-hmm. and a nutrition supplement to uh, pregnant women and young children. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, doing that for several years they came back and the uh, health was best in the nutrition and clean water village better than the control village the health in the medicalized and vaccinated (laughs) village was worse probably the worst so scientifically (laughs) that pretty much says that even though it might not be economically viable uh, to clean up the environment it definitely is better than vaccination as a a way to improve the health. Especially with all the attendant risks. I I started the beginning of the show as you were being being, uh, brought in that um, the thing I find staggering about the uh, ethics, if you like, of the uh, industry that produces vaccinations is that they're completely outside of the law so far as litigation for any uh, damage is caused. I find that incredible. And uh, there's very little talk about the uh, the actual damage, but when you look in the literature, even in medical literature, which is heavily biased against 
saying anything bad about vaccines. Uh, you see a tremendous amount of evidence showing that people who are vaccinated have a lot uh, of very serious health problems. Uh, everything from baldness, uh, sterility and ovarian failure, uh, uh, psoriasis, uh, autoimmune skin diseases, and uh, those those are things that show up pretty visibly and easy, easily diagnosed. Mm -hmm. But uh, long-range studies suggest that uh, there will be a similar uh, significant increase among vaccinated people of, of the really serious degenerative right. diseases that can contain an autoimmune factor, such as dementia, cancer, and heart disease. Mm -hmm. But those, uh, even the mild uh, problems aren't mentioned when people are, are talking about the safety of vaccines. Hmm. So how, how do you think, uh, I guess before we get into the... Uh the, the so-called science behind vaccination, the methodology behind it, what uh, they seek to, what they seek to obtain, and actually how the immune system now, as a uh, ever-evolving organism, is actually considered in in the light of current and groundbreaking scientific research. How, how do you think? Um, how do you think we, as a species? Uh, I wonder, going back to perhaps Egyptian times, uh, we know the Egyptians definitely got things like leprosy. Um, that they got uh, enteric diseases, they had cardiovascular disease, and they got there's some evidence there that um, a few cases they may have found a few cases even of a uh, one or two cancers that they might have found out of hundreds of mummies that were put through CAT scans and uh, you know various other um, you know investigative procedures. They they say that they did find they found no evidence of breast cancer, which I found quite interesting amongst any of the uh, females. And in terms of a society, I wonder if you have any if you have any thoughts about the. Uh, um, the type of, uh, I don't know, the type of uh, strength of their immunity and how that's changed throughout the Middle Ages and until now? Well, uh, current experiments show that uh, simply diet and uh, uh, sanitation, uh, good light exposure and avoidance of, of pollution and toxins uh, will make a tremendous difference. And uh, I assume that in a pre-industrial society, there was a lot less heavy metal exposure. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think Egypt was <laughs> was big on iron <laughs> industry and, okay. and refining and such. Uh -huh. uh, I think uh, the um, seed oils have, I think, been a, a major contribution to uh, uh, bad health. Uh, along with heavy metals, and those two things interact, uh, destroying our, our innate immune system. Uh -huh. uh, types of experiments that uh, prevent animals from getting the, the usual polyunsaturated fats uh, show that they're extremely resistant to uh, all kinds of injury, including infections. And uh, one of the most interesting things relative to the, the classical uh, instruction theory of adaptive immunity is that organs, uh, for example, kidneys, 
can be transplanted from uh, an animal that has been deprived of polyunsaturated fats mm -hmm. into another animal as if they were genetically related. Right. Uh, the antigenicity of the tissues is extremely low simply be, by avoiding the polyunsaturated fats. And you, you see similar things in in uh, liver transplants among humans. The, uh, so, so you mean the, the animals, sorry for interrupting, but the animals that were uh, transplanted, the organs that were transplanted from the animal with the no PUFA in its diet had a lot less antigenic reaction in the body of the recipient. Uh, yeah, so even though their their genes and proteins huh. are theoretically wow. antigenic, yeah, yeah. they should be antigenic, right. but because of being uh, free of the associated uh, free radical breakdown products of, of the oxidized fats, uh, those proteins aren't recognized as foreign. Wow. So when, when we hear about tissue typing and donor matching uh, and finding that match for that kidney, or you're saying that actually in animal experiments they've taken those organs out of animals who have a fairly disparate uh, genetic makeup and the organ is still not rejected. Uh, true. Yeah. And, uh, if you look at the age and gender of uh, liver donors, uh, females have a higher level of circulating polyunsaturated fats in the blood and mm -hmm. tissues, and those increase with age. Right. And the least successful, the most antigenic and likely to fail liver comes from older donors and female donors. Wow. Uh, corresponding to the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, the exposure. Uh, accumulation of polyunsaturated fats. Huh. Interesting. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay. Well, so, um, what do you um, what do you think about in in terms of the? I'll tell you what. Let's put it out in the air. What's uh, what's going on here? And I think actually there might even be a caller. So, uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMD Garville, ninety one point one FM. Uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete with us this evening, uh, and we're going through the subject of vaccination. And at some point here, we'll get into the. Uh, get into the bad press about vaccination and uh, some of the people that are claiming damages and the link between autism and MMR and then not to mention all the uh, adjuvants that are put into vaccines to make them supposedly uh, reactive in the body so the body does something about mounting an immune response uh, because the material in the in the vaccine itself isn't antigenic enough but um, if uh, if people would like to call any time from now until 8 o'clock the number like I said is 923-3911 if you're in the area well, if you're outside the area, the number's uh, 1800 KMUD RAD. So, Dr. Pete, let's take this first caller and see where see where we're going. You're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? Where are you calling from? Um, Kansas City. Kansas City. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, I had a couple of questions. Um, one of them was about gluten. Um, so, you had mentioned that estrogen sensitizes the intestines to gluten. So if someone were staying off of gluten, how long should they, you know, kind of stay off of it before trying it out again? Or is it like so many of the so-called gluten experts who say that you basically have to stay off of it forever? Mm -hmm. Dr. Pete? I, I think the um, uh, hormone balance is what makes the difference. Um, if you get your uh, defensive 
anti-inflammatory hormones, including thyroid, up. And uh, as the anti-inflammatory T3 part of the thyroid increases, the TSH, which is pro-inflammatory, decreases. And uh, high estrogen goes with low thyroid function and uh, an inflammatory state which uh, resembles autoimmunity. Animals treated with estrogen uh, are very susceptible to autoimmune diseases. And uh, so uh, I think the, the gluten reaction is in effect a type of autoimmune reaction and that uh, you have to shift the whole organism so that it's uh, acting properly rather than uh, over over uh, reacting to inflammatory signals okay so that means that if you're able to do that that eventually you could actually you know just eat gluten without a problem in the future then Uh, yeah i think so um I've talked previously about the uh, the intestine as a source of uh, serotonin and nitric oxide and histamine, which promote inflammation. And uh, those things are increased by any stressor, but uh, they're intrinsic parts of the uh, immune system, and they tend to change with aging as well as stress. Uh, very recently, uh, there's been research showing that uh, nitric oxide turns off all of the uh, steroids, starting with pregnenolone in the white blood cells, uh, which should turn off autoimmune reactions. And uh, uh, since nitric oxide turns off steroid synthesis right at the first step, uh, uh, you want to do things that will minimize your exposure to serotonin, histamine, and nitric oxide, and increase things that will uh, promote the uh, uh, anti-inflammatory, anti-autoimmune processes. Okay, that's great. Thank you. I just had one other question. Um, if you could uh, maybe give a couple of practical things someone could do who's suffering from age-related macular degeneration. Um, yeah, thyroid. Uh, uh, sometimes aspirin helps by uh, keeping down the uh, uh, prostaglandins and polyunsaturated uh, reactive uh, oxygen species. Uh, so vitamin E, uh, thyroid, aspirin, uh, pregnenolone, and progesterone are all protective. So basically just re- just everything that works in the way of restoring energy production, then you, we could basically say it's, it, that you should be able to regenerate the uh, cells in the eye, I guess. Is that is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and the, um, the cells are tending to uh, regenerate constantly. Uh, in the brain, retina, pancreas, and so on. Uh, even in uh, uh, sick people, there are new stem cells being born. The problem is to keep them from dying because of the stressful uh, situation in the tissue. And uh, oh, uh, caffeine is another generally protective thing that that blocks the uh, the toxic effects of nitric oxide 
and uh, other things that uh, kill cells and deprive them of energy. Okay, thank you for that. That was great. Okay, thank you for your call. Um, we have another caller on the uh, on the line, so we'll take this next caller. Uh, where are you from, caller? How you're on the air? Where are you from? You were on the air, uh, engineer. We, did we have the caller, or is he, is he gone? She must have hung up. Hello. Oh, hi. You're on the air. I'm on the air. Yes. You asked me where I was from. Yeah. I'm from here in Humboldt, near Phillipsville. Okay, Phillipsville. Go ahead. Um, what I wanted to ask is in relation to the uh, uh, um, the uh, vaccination thing, mm -hmm. um, what I don't hear you addressing is that so many of the diseases that uh, children get vaccinated for traditionally have been pretty much wiped out, and they were very deadly diseases. A lot of children died of whooping cough. Uh, uh, tetanus was was a death sentence. Um, uh, usually diphtheria was. My father uh, almost died of diphtheria as a child, and he was one of the few that made it. His first cousin died of polio because it affected her breathing. I have another friend who went through her whole life with one leg shorter than the other because she'd had polio, and that was quite distressful for her. Um, but so many, uh, you know, smallpox, uh so many deadly diseases you don't hear about anymore because children were massively vaccinated. So what about the fact, I mean, whatever harm uh, vaccinations might cause are not anywhere nearly as harmful as the diseases that they've wiped out. Well, I think that can be contested, and uh, I think that was the point of this evening's show, was to bring out some of the uh, scientific evidence behind that contest. So um, perhaps... Well, didn't people die a lot from those diseases? Well, people people die a lot from <laughs> the, the kind of diseases that are ravaging the world right now, like the cancers, the massive increase in cancers. Uh, people are tragically mentally dying from dementia and Alzheimer's right in front of their families. Uh, autism is becoming pretty rife amongst children, and goodness knows what it's predisposing them to be like in the years to come. So I think uh, whilst you're very true and correct that these diseases have certainly brought around deadly uh, consequences for some of the victims in the world. I think a lot the, of them. Yeah, the, the purpose of tonight's... And mostly children. Yeah, the purpose of tonight's show was to uh, bring out bring out where we've come from and where we're at now and why it is that there is this uh, supposed need for this massive vaccination. Well, do you think that, that we should vaccinate uh, children against these deadly diseases so they don't get whooping cough and tetanus and uh, well, the point, diphtheria? The point of tonight's show was to bring out the, uh, the reasons for and against it, and that's, uh, that's I guess, where we're going to go with the show. So uh, perhaps if you wait a little while and we get further through the questions that I have for Dr. Pete, uh, like I said at the very beginning of the show, uh, his philosophy and approach to this is very different and, and does seem very... Uh, shocking at first well you know, i just want to know that. you know what would you do without vaccinations you know what what would you do about all these deadly diseases if, that we as, as he's already said you know more, i know we has... haven't been able to conquer cancer <laughs> well, uh, we've come a long way it's not the death sentence that it used to be for a lot of people yeah i think i think what dr peters uh, said that hit the nail on the head really is that good hygiene sanitation and nutrition has done more 
than vaccination has done for reducing disease and it's the health of the organism that's really the important factor so whilst uh, we're not saying carte blanche that vaccinations are deadly and shouldn't be used what we're trying to get over and hopefully will as the show goes on otherwise we'll carry it on next month is that the nutrition state of people in the terms of how they live the drugs that they maybe have they're on medications the kind of quality of food that's in the food supply these days the water they're drinking the air they're breathing the sunlight they're not getting all of these things well, are de- definitely degrading. it's obviously a stronger immune system is going to ward off you know mm-hmm. It's going to help you ward off mm-hmm. all diseases exactly. and conquer your immune system. And, and so if we, get, if we get that opportunity later on here, uh, we're going to discuss the immune system and, okay. how, and how experiments have conclusively proved okay. that, that in groups of animals that have been treated and tested, they're significantly better in their outcomes when faced with the same infection that other animals die from. So uh, I think it's it's basically not a one way or the other. What we want to do is just open people's minds to things that they may not have thought about. I think that's the whole point of our shows. They're pretty uh, they're pretty groundbreaking in terms of getting people to think differently about a subject that's so long and so often we get brainwashed with only one way, and that actually we don't hear the full truth. And so that's the whole point. Well, I'm also boosting <laughs> the immune system and you know better eating and. Uh, you know, better understanding yeah. of uh, all the things that go into that. So I'll get off the phone and let's all right. continue. Thank you. Uh, thanks for your call. Okay, we do have one more caller, so let's uh, see where this call is going to go. And where are you from, caller? Is that me? Yes, where are you from? Well, I'm here from Phillipsville. You're Phillipsville as well, are you? Okay. Yes. So, um, there's, I'm a homeopath. Okay. And there's a wonderful book by Richard Moskowitz called Plain Doctoring. Mm-hmm. It has a few hundred pages on very medical vaccination by vaccination assessment of each of each vaccination. Mm-hmm. And for one thing, whooping cough is a terribly ineffective one, mm-hmm. which is partially why everybody is getting it these days because they've been vaccinated and vaccinated, and all they do is say have some more vaccine, and it doesn't work very well. Measles works very well. And some of them, like whooping, have have some terrible consequences. And it seems to me it should be in a case-by-case basis. I mean, I would be interested in a tetanus shot, but I don't want a pertussis. I've already had whooping cough, and I certainly don't want a diphtheria. There's 22 cases in, I don't know, the last 10 years in the U.S., so why are they doing that? Money. That's why. Mm -hmm. Money. You know, a hep B and a newborn baby, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a wonderful book, but, you know, I go both ways. My great-grandfather died of, of what is it, Viruela, pox. What is the pox? Smallpox. Smallpox. Say again? And all his children had the vaccine, and it was horrible, and their legs got all red and sort of pussy, and he was repelled, and he was a guy, he was a macho in Cuba, and he didn't want to get vaccinated. So when he came in contact with it, he got it and went off and died by himself. So there should be a little sanity, but there isn't any sanity at all. Anyway, it's a wonderful book. It's called Plain Doctoring by Richard Moskowitz, and it does it very scientifically, not hysterically at all. Good. But, you know, my great-granddaughter has had 40,000, and the granddaughter believes in herd immunity, and I'm horrified. With so much cancer in the family, terrible. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thanks for the show. You're welcome. Bye-bye. 
Dr. P, I think uh, unless we get more callers coming in, let's let's get into the uh, adjuvant side of vaccinations and how these are definitely proven to be very toxic and uh, unsafe. Okay, um, w- one of the uh, newer uh, adjuvants of interest is uh, phytol, which is a, a plant oily material, hmm. and uh, heavy metals have been used as adjuvants for a long time, and uh, uh, they are pathogens in themselves uh, when when they're uh, in the diet and the environment but uh, since uh, even the the conventional immunologists realize that uh, simple foreignness of a protein isn't enough to make it uh, reactive uh, isn't enough to make it function as an antigen right. even though it's it's completely foreign so they need to uh, uh, make the body treat it as something dangerous. Right. And uh, uh, that, uh, that's what uh, activates the immune system and, and effectively uh, uh, keeps the, the viruses or bacteria from multiplying. But the, uh, following the trend that Eli Metchnikoff uh, sketched out, at the beginning of the century. Uh, a few people 30, 25 and 30 years ago uh, brought that innate immunity uh, back theoretically to look at the evidence of, of vaccination and how, how an adjuvant uh, makes the immune system react. And uh, it's now recognized as the danger or damage theory of immunity, where it used to be the otherness, uh, the foreignness of an antigen that uh, was recognized. Now it's uh, increasingly seen that it's injury that, that uh, triggers the immune system, and so it, it's not at all just the foreignness. And uh, the, the uh, originators of these this uh, danger or damage theory of immunity uh, are uh, Jamie Cunliffe and Polly Matzinger. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, they showed that uh, the, the, um, the implications of, of thinking of the immune system as a developmental process rather than as a, an immune process seeking out uh, foreign organisms uh, as the pathogen, that anything pathogenic, which could be radiation, heavy metals, uh, uh, toxic fats, and so on, uh, these are are the real agents of damage, and uh, that's why they have to be used with the uh, bacterium or virus. The thing thing I remember was the uh, thimerosal that was, um, I think think they say now that it's been banned since 2002, but I don't know how true that is. Um, And and that obviously was uh, causing a lot of damage uh, in people that were receiving it. And I think this is when a lot of the attention came out uh, for vaccinations uh, and the products that were used as adjuvants in uh, vaccines were then starting to be questioned. Uh, you know, some people think that they're talking about the uh, the amount of mercury as a toxin, but it it's really the uh, the way the the tiny amount of 
of toxin or, or mercury or adjuvant is uh, presented that causes mm-hmm. the problem. It isn't uh, mercury itself. For example, uh, kids whose mother uh, ate uh, lots of seafood uh, turn out to have above-average IQs along with a high body load of mercury. <laughs> so uh, in a healthy body, even mercury isn't necessarily right. toxic, but presented in the wrong way, uh, activating uh, these uh, adaptive uh, defensive reactions. It's, it's that uh, that can lead to things like autoimmunity that really uh, cause the damage. Right. So when they substitute uh, phytol for aluminum or mercury, for example, I think the effects are going to be just as bad, if not worse. Right. So it's all about the uh, potentiation of it. Um, yeah. It, it, yes. The uh, uh, potentiating the uh, disturbing properties. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think there's a caller coming in. So is there a caller? On? Yeah. Yes. We had a dear listener who. Uh, wanted to know if I could ask uh, for Dr. Pete to comment on the effects of breastfeeding on the immune health of the child and uh, as well as its uh, relationship to vaccines, breast breastfeeding in relation to vaccines. Uh, besides being good nutrition and extremely low in iron, incidentally, uh, uh, iron is is one of the factors in the environment that accumulates and uh, uh, progressively uh, leads to uh, oxidative injury of all of the tissues. So milk provides extremely good nutrition, including uh, a relative absence of the harmful uh, iron. It, it also provides uh, various immune protective materials, uh, antibodies and uh, things such as uh, uh, transferrin or uh, uh, lactoferrin that uh, help to manipulate the body load of iron. Uh, Besides being deficient in iron uh, as a food, the lactoferrin helps the body uh, keep its iron in the right place, uh, prevents stress from uh, letting the iron uh, react with uh, polyunsaturated fats and so on. Uh, so uh, uh, breastfeeding uh, provides undamaged uh, proteins that are really part of the baby's immune system. And uh, even RNA from the mother's body, uh, I, I think even DNA has been demonstrated to pass from the mother's milk into the baby's genetic makeup. Uh, so it's, if, if you get, if you uh, are brought up on cow's milk or, or goat's milk, you get many of the <laughs> immunological protective factors, but you're probably also incorporating some of the uh, 
goat or cow's DNA, uh, genetic material. And, and I don't want to speculate on, on uh, what the caller uh, exactly was wondering about, but I think they were curious if there are any, uh, the antibodies that are released in the breast milk, are they ever uh, an alternative or an, a viable option to any specific vaccines that are out there already that people get vaccines for their child, but they don't have to because the breast milk uh, provides the proper antibodies? Um, yeah, the mother's immunity does show up in the baby if, if the baby is breastfed for a couple of years. Hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, part, of, part of that transfer is by micro vesicles, they're called, uh, little uh, particles about uh, maybe less than a thousandth the size of a cell, but they contain proteins and RNA possibly some DNA, and uh, these microvesicles uh, can pass through the intestine wall and uh, circulate as sort of uh, immune cells, even though they're, they're extremely small. They can be taken up uh, specifically by cells that they're appropriate for. So they're kind of like uh, miniature stem cell repair kits that the milk is providing. And would a longer duration of breastfeeding, say beyond two years, uh, lead to uh, more active immunities? Um, yeah, if the, they probably should supplement uh, some iron because uh, usually a baby is born with an overload of iron. The, the heavier the overload, I, I think the higher the uh, risk of disease is in the newborn baby. But by the time a baby is about two years old, it has grown into, into that excess of iron. And uh, around that time, uh, it might be uh, needing some food uh, containing iron, such as eggs. But uh, the, the um, protective immunity is, is still being passed along up to three or four years. Oh. All right. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Okay, so I don't know that we're going to have... We certainly have some more time to go before the end of the show, but uh, maybe we'll carry on this next month because I'd really like to ask you, uh, Dr. Pete, about your uh, your current understanding of the immune system and how 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 vaccine how they tell us vaccines are supposed to be working and the perceived uh, risk and the odds uh, of you know, a lifelong perhaps lifelong struggle with. Uh, any number of conditions that may have been stimulated by the vaccine that we probably are going to find out in maybe another 30 or 40 years, uh, a little bit like the uh, polyunsaturated fat cover-up perhaps that's just come into light now with doctors saying that saturated fats are actually better and more protective. But I don't know that we'll have in six minutes any chance to cover that. But um, perhaps if we just put it out on the air that um, the number, if you want to make a quick call, here's 923 3911 of the outside the area, the 800 number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, I think uh, part of the picture that people should keep in mind is that in just the last 20 years, the image of the organism uh, has uh, become more like a, a continuing stream of developmental changes, like, mm -hmm. like where the the last stage of embryonic development, we're still just a big, slowly developing embryo, really, with all of our parts being in play, uh, interacting with the environment. 
and what happens during gestation and uh, in the first two or three years of life uh, when there are fewer uh, cells involved each of those cells uh, has uh, a longer history of descendants and the more you disturb the organism early in life the greater the uh, distortion is going to be in adulthood but uh, we're still in process even uh, after middle age uh, stem cells are still being uh, educated and uh, responding uh, trying to optimize conditions and uh, so it's it's never too late to uh, correct damage that was done at an early stage but it's uh, uh, when possible uh, the early uh, environment should be optimized by uh, avoiding stresses as far as they can be avoided do you think there's any point at which uh, an organism might be fully uh, protected if you like in terms of the insults uh, given to it by vaccines or any other any other outside influences do you think there's a, a point beyond which the capacity will have reached a maximal point um, or not you just think it's there are two types of experiments in in mice and rats that uh, I think say a lot about uh, human conditions. Uh, Germ-free animals, uh, even though they're susceptible to infection because they've never been exposed to infections, Mm -hmm. uh, they happen to be very tough and adaptive, uh, resistant to other kinds of stress. Uh, In middle age, uh, their mortality rate is much lower than uh, Uh, Uh germ-infested animals. And, uh, 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 for example, they're very resistant to obesity. They can be fed a high-fat and high-sugar diet, and they just don't get fat, even though they come from a strain of obese animals. The absence of germs and inflammation makes them resistant to such things as obesity and diabetes. Uh And uh, the other line of experimentation is... Uh, giving them a diet completely lacking in the so-called essential fatty acids. Those animals are extremely resistant not only to trauma and uh, chemical poisoning, uh, uh, biological toxins and so on. Uh, They have an extremely strong immune system. Uh, They are hard to infect. Uh, takes a, a huge dose of injected uh, cancer cells or uh, uh, bacteria, for example, to to produce a viable infection. Uh, I'll have to hold you there, Dr. Pete, because I want to make sure people get the information about how to uh, reach you uh, on the web and read some of the articles uh, behind what they've heard this evening. So thanks so much for joining us. Okay, thank you. Okay, so, yeah, we didn't really get a chance, perhaps, to get into the the crux of uh, vaccines and the for and against and uh, put it out there as a kind of um, take the advice and and ask yourself the questions with uh, the new information. But uh, perhaps we'll get the chance to carry this on next month. Anyway, for those people uh, who've heard the show and want to know more about Dr. Raymond Pete uh, and his... uh, his definite wisdom and his learned, learned experience, um, www.raypeat.com, 
Uh, his uh, website is full of articles that are fully referenced, uh, almost a scientific-based uh, literature in his arguments uh, for and against a wide range of things. Uh, so well worth looking at his website. He doesn't sell anything, uh, but he has a lot of good information to give away for free. Um, anyway, yeah, for those people who've listened to the show and uh, for those who've called in, thank you for your time and calling in. Uh, we can be reached one eight 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 WBM Herb. Uh, Monday through Friday, um, and tomorrow's the solstice, so longest day of the year. Uh, things start getting a little dimmer <laughs> as we work through to fall. But hey, I saw the rivers on the way in. It looks like the end of August. Um, anyway, so all the best, and uh, see you on the third Friday of next month. All right, thank you, Doc, and thank everyone for their calls. Uh, the herb doctor got quite a few calls of support during that show and i think a lot of the listeners are on board with uh, another episode uh, in about vac- 